I'm Lake Miller. And I'm Hannah Brown. Welcome to Gem City Diversity, a podcast where we talk about diversity and inclusion in the Dayton area. We're from the National Conference for Community and Justice of Greater Dayton, or NCCJ. NCCJ works in the Miami Valley to increase understanding around the topics of diversity and inclusion. In this episode, Lake and Maya have a conversation with C about eating disorders. They discuss what eating disorders are, the stigma placed on eating disorders, and a little bit about seeking help for eating disorders. Enjoy. Um, all right. Well, welcome C and welcome Maya. Um, C, we really appreciate you taking some time to be with us today and to have some really important, some enjoyable conversations is my hope. So we appreciate um, you kind of being with us. Okay. So I wanted to start by just introducing eating disorders and explaining a little bit about them before we get into like really talking about them. So uh, we know that eating disorders are defined by a complicated and harmful relationship with food and can take on many forms. Like other mental illnesses, they're caused by a mix of factors, including genetics, biology, personality traits, and environment. People with eating disorders often, but not always, are especially sensitive to societal pressures, such as American values of thinness. But this is absolutely not the only motivating motivating factor. Um, And I wanted to introduce some of the common eating disorders. Um, And this is not an extensive list, but um, so there's probably the most famous is anorexia nervosa, um, which is just um, mainly characterized by restrictive food intake due to a desire to lose weight. Um, And there's also binge eating disorder, which is kind of the opposite where a person will eat excessive amounts of food in a short period of time, and this behavior continues a lot. Uh, There's bulimia nervosa, which is typically characterized by cycles of binge eating, and then purging, like, um, purging is kind of, takes on many forms, like vomiting or laxatives, Um, and this is mostly, or most commonly, to avoid gaining weight. And then there's avoidant restrictive food intake disorder, which is kind of like extreme picky eating when a person like avoids eating certain foods because of a fear or dislike of certain tastes, textures, or other features of food. And then there's another one that's, I'm not sure if it's like official yet, but it's definitely a problem that I wanted to talk about. And that's diabulimia as it's known commonly. And that's when a person with type 1 diabetes gives themselves less insulin than they need in an attempt to lose weight. Um, And I also wanted to, um, I also wanted to talk about the motivating um, factors of eating disorders. So those can be anything from like coping strategies to um, where the eating disorder helps them cope with other aspects of their lives, or it can be a cry for help or a form of self-harm or self-punishment, or even provide some 
positive feelings like having control over something or feeling protected or having a freedom or comfort from those things. Um, and we see these disorders most commonly in adolescents and women, um, but there are still so many people who do not fit that demographic who suffer from these disorders too. Often people who don't fit this, the stereotypical image of an eating disordered person are overlooked or undertreated. Um, some of these disorders cause a significant weight loss in most of the sufferers like anorexia, um, which leads to the perception that one has to be visibly underweight to have an eating disorder. But that is certainly not the case, especially with people um, who do not um, restrict their food intake. Um, so that's just a little bit about eating disorders for anyone who doesn't know a lot about them. Um, and I wanted to start with talking to see about um, how the stereotypes um, can be harmful. So the stereotypes regarding eating disorders are often based on a truth that a lot of eating disordered people look, away, look a certain way, but that can be really harmful for people who don't look that way. Um, so how do you see like the image of often a skinny young woman um, that people have of eating disorders contribute to, to stigma? Yeah, I, so one very stressful, like, uh, distressful, kind of annoying thing about the way we see eating disorders is absolutely the stereotypes, um, especially how you mentioned that I feel like a lot of us, when we hear eating disorder, we automatically think anorexia and very small underweight girl, right? We don't think about people who are overweight. We don't think about men who have eating disorders. We don't think about the other rest of eating disorders, you know, bulimia, especially diabulimia. Um, you know, binge restricting, like there's so many things and we just kind of focus on the one thing, right? Um, and it's kind of gone as far to affect medical treatments available, right? There's a lot of people who have, you know, eating disorder specialists and um, treatment centers, residential programs, so you can come in and they help, you know, kind of retrain you to eat um, in a more um, kind of safer way. But even then the requirements are, you have to be less than a certain BMI. I think usually it's like 20 um, and you have to have anorexia. And it's like, you're kind of leaving out everyone else who has probably as serious of an issue. Um, and you know, this is kind of something that affects me because um, as someone has like a binge eating problem, like a binge restriction cycle, um, and also someone who's not underweight at all, you know, um, I didn't even realize that I had an issue until about a few months ago because I was like, well, you know, we have so many diet trends out there that a lot of them are very problematic. And I was like, I feel like I'm just kind of following what everyone else thinks I should follow. Um, which was not right at all, it was incorrect. <laughs> just, you know, what people were setting as safe, but then me putting my own twist on it, um, just from having years and years of, you know, disordered eating in general, um, because of the way we kind of perpetuate what an eating disorder is, I never really thought about, you know, how I don't fit that mold and how it's still equally a problem. Yeah. It's definitely a problem that, like, I think a lot of people face that even people with the most common 
eating disorders can feel like, oh, I don't fit certain requirements. And those requirements end up being like not requirements. Mm -hmm. um, and then they don't end up getting care. And then you're left with a huge burden um, to deal with on your own. Right. And just like, you know, there's a lot of different health issues that can come from it. Um, you know, people can suffer, you know, like if they have bulimia and they're purging, you can have problems with your throat and with your teeth. Um, you can have digestive issues if you're taking laxatives, you know, you can um, have problems with like your cholesterol or things. If you're binge eating a lot, you can have problems with just everything, hair falling out, a lot of things, you have anorexia. There's so many issues that can stem from eating disorders that again will come up because you just haven't been treated for them. Um, and then you're also not being treated for these secondhand issues that are coming up from them. I think it's really interesting. Um, I think it's really interesting, Steve, you talked about kind of like these clinics or specialists that people can go to, but you need to have a certain BMI to kind of get into these. And that's really interesting to me because I think when we talk about these stereotypes and stigma, if you're somebody who's coming into all of a sudden realizing like, Hey, maybe I'm struggling with an eating disorder. And you look at that and you're like, I can't even get into the specialist to me that like, that could have such an effect on somebody and thinking either like, okay, well kind of shrugging it off and saying the specialists don't think that it's a big enough deal or saying, geez, how the heck am I supposed to get help? I must have to go through this by myself. Right. And that's, you know, one of the things that I thought about too, I was like, again, looking around at people who kind of specialize in these things and I saw all those requirements. I was like, well, I guess either I don't have a problem or it's not worth it to get it fixed because <laughs> I just didn't follow that mold. And, you know, I feel like we shouldn't put a requirement to what we define as a problem when, you know, that's a very big thing that can eliminate people who are getting help um, or can get help. Um, and so I feel like you shouldn't have to fit that <laughs> to be validated um, in the medical field. Yeah. Um, I remember when I went through eating disorder treatment, I don't, um, I have avoidant restrictive food intake disorder, which is very different from um, anorexia or bulimia, but the only eating disorder clinics around me focused on anorexia and bulimia. And so they let me in, but it didn't go well because um, they were treating it a certain way that wasn't effective. And even that clinic had an age limit. Um, you had to get special permission if you were like over a certain age. That's and crazy, that's that a was, good point though. Yeah, and that was, I'm sure very harmful for like older women to see that too. Mm -hmm. Or yeah. it was also um, only for women. So men with eating disorders um, in the area couldn't really get help. Mm -hmm. And I think both C and Maya, you've kind of alluded to this kind of one size fits all approach that can so often be applied to I think not only eating disorders, but probably a lot of our kind of facets of medical care is we want to have one pretty solution that we can apply to everybody. And that's just not the case, you know? Um, 
and when we're talking about eating disorders, like each of these different disorders are just so completely different, you know, that we can't have this one size fits all. And I think even Maya, what you were just saying, like, reminds me of our previous episode of gender affirming care, where it's like, you may have doctors who say kind of, we can work on this different area, but when you really get into the nitty gritty of it, they don't know the depth of that issue, you know, or, or how to treat it in its entirety um, when it comes to an individual. Yeah. And that, you know, the one size fits all is definitely, again, one of those things that it's kind of frustrating because, you know, having the binge restricting, everyone kind of hears about how I don't eat enough. Um, and then they're like, okay, eat this, eat this, eat this. We're going to go out to eat. I'm going to give you this, this, and this, and you know, I'm going to come over. I'm going to cook you dinner. And I'm like, no, <laughs> you know, like I get it. I know you hear about the one side, but then you have to understand that if you give me all these things, then I'm not going to have to control myself in that binge. And then the cycle continues, you know? And so people just kind of assume again, because they're all like anorexia, and there's more than just that. If you have binge um, eating, you know, disorder, and everyone sees that, and they're like, "Okay, stop eating," then that can still be really triggering, you know. At the end of the day, like, um, I think what kind of brings me shame sometimes to even talk about having a disorder is the thing that we kind of see it as a choice and not just like a disorder, right? Because it's like you can have depression and have bipolar disorder and have some kind of chemical problem that requires medication and you know, we're like, okay, we understand it. But then when you have an eating disorder, I feel like people just kind of assume like, oh, they're just trying to lose weight. They're just trying to do this. So they love food too much and they have to stop and eat normally. But you kind of forget that's also, you know, it's a lack of control. And um, it's another mentality that's really hard to break out of, which is why we call it a disorder and not just some kind of diet, quote unquote. So can I ask, and uh, Maya, I'm sorry, I'm gonna ask you too. So I hope okay. that's okay. Uh, I told you we're doing this unconventional today. Um, so as somebody who would not characterize myself with eating disorders, but I've had a lot of people in my lives who, in my life who have had eating disorders. And I think what I've always seen from society is like, if somebody in my life has an eating disorder and, and I think, see, you talked about this a little bit that we're like, okay, like here, like eat, please. Like I'm making this food for you, please eat. Um, and that's totally not being supportive, you know, that's the reality. So I'm curious from both of your perspectives, like as an outsider, as somebody who, um, does not have an eating disorder, if somebody in my life does have an eating disorder, what does it look like to actually support that person in a way that's productive? That's a good question. Um, I think in my experience, you know, one of the first things, because my first friend I told about this, you know, he was like, first of all, I knew it because <laughs> um, he was the one that kind of pushed me to get help. Um, but also, you know, that was his whole thing was, okay, I'm going to do all these things and we're going to get food. Um, and then it kind of, I had to make him kind of take a step back. And I was like, here's what I actually need from you. Um, and so I think, you know, a good way to just kind of start out is just to ask them like what do you need me to do what is if they're comfortable don't kind of pressure them but if they're comfortable kind of ask them like you know what is the problem and how can I support you instead of just like assuming oh they probably just don't want to eat food I'm going to make you some food um and just kind of go at their pace you know because that's the biggest thing it's really hard to try to recover and get help if all you kind of feel is that pressure that you have to 
you know, be on the right track immediately when it's not a straight linear cycle to um, recovery. It's a lot of ups and downs and curve and turnarounds and it's a roller coaster. Yeah, I would like agree with with all of that. Um, I'm going to say that again because <laughs> I would agree with all of that. Um, I think that being willing to ask questions is a sign of strength. Um, and just communicating about it, but also being okay with not knowing everything. Um, because there is a lot of shame. Um, and I've personally, I've learned to be okay with that shame, but because of the stereotypes that surround it, I think especially like people who are just starting to like accept what they have, um, it can be hard to talk about it. Um, and it does like complicate support because sometimes we don't even know what we need ourselves. And I think just being there, just being there for them um, when they're ready to talk about it and tell you what they can, um, what they can do, I think is helpful. Those were two really good answers. I really appreciate both of you. Maya, uh, I turn it back over to you. I'm sorry. I just had to interject and ask that. So. Yeah. Um, so we talked about the societal stereotypes of eating disorders. And I'm wondering what you see contributes to the isolation and invalidation of individuals with any of these disorders. I think a big thing is representation. Um, and you no, know, again, just a lot of these stereotypes come from the fact that we only represent one person, right? We only see, in the movies, we see the one girl who is 90 pounds and doesn't want to eat. Um, I think the one that comes to mind is the TV show Netflix called To the Bone, I want to say. Um, and it kind of shows like her recovery and her struggle, but that's the only example I can think of that focuses on eating disorder. Not that it is more out there, you know, but it's definitely a matter of representation. I feel like that kind of invalidates everyone else because we don't just, we don't think about it. Um, and then again, because we kind of think, oh, the stereotype is they don't want to eat food. Um, when you eat too much food, especially, or, you know, you have bulimia, people just kind of assume, well, you are eating something. So clearly you're fine. And it's like, no, that's, it's still damaging. You know, there's still a mindset behind it. Um, Cause we just kind of forget that it's more than just what you do on the outside is what you feel on the inside too, you know? Um, a lot of people, myself included, like I think a lot about food all the time. I think my energy, probably 80% of it is dedicated to what is my next meal? Should I eat? Should I not eat? What am I going to do? You know, and, um, no one really talks about that or represents that in the media. We just kind of see one side, um, which can really kind of eliminate everyone else's feelings and thoughts. I think there's also, if I can, if I can jump off of that, I think there's a lot of judgment in our society on being overweight in, uh, and, and I think that that judgment rubs off in a lot of comments and 
kind of this notion that somebody's lazy or many of these stereotypes that we hear. I know I had gained at one point about 70 pounds. And the reason I gained it is because my antidepressants caused weight gain. Right. But I got a lot of those comments. Um, and, and I think for, you know, like to me, that's a, that's a really hard stigma to overcome. And I, and I don't know how to overcome those questions. Or if I was somebody struggling with an eating disorder too, that's a tough conversation to hear somebody say these really hurtful comments and then have to be like, yeah, but I'm struggling with a disorder that's causing this, you know, it's not that I'm not working out. It's not that I'm not, you know, watching what I eat. Um, but those comments don't help either. Yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was, um, yeah, it's become socially acceptable to comment on or judge someone's weight. And I think that can be very, very triggering and also just not helpful even to people without eating disorders. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the concept of medication and side effects is a very big thing too, um, which this really affected me as well because um, I have chronic migraines. And so I was constantly going between medication, medication, you know, multiple things within a year um, in high school. And, you know, it was like one would make me lose a ton of weight. And then I hear everyone say, oh, wow, look at you. You did so good. I'm so happy. And you look so cute now. Um, and then I have another vacation that makes me gain all the weight back. And then they're like, oh, well, what, what happened there? Why did you fall off the cliff? And then this goes back and forth. You know, I'd be in one that makes you lose the weight again. And then you get off of it and it makes you gain the weight without even getting something else. And um, I think I cycled between gain and losing about 50 pounds in high school, just from year to year to year. And a lot of people didn't see again, like that's what kind of sparked my problems is because I was like trying to keep the weight off and lose the weight so I could get those good comments. Um, because then when I was getting the weight and still doing everything I could to not gain it, everyone was like, you got to keep going, got to keep working out and doing your best. And it was like, I'm trying, but I can't, <laughs> you know, I physically am struggling. And then I have this mental problem, which caused the disorder because I'm hearing all these things about they're just observing my weight and not what I'm actually thinking. Yeah, I think eating disorders are so hard for um, people who don't have them to understand that even like the most common eating disorders um, are kind of a mystery and that causes that um, that lack of like communication and um, but is a layer of that though, that people, it, it, I, I think what you're exactly right with the mystery piece, you know, and like, as somebody who's immersed in diversity, mental health, all of these issues, like really, this is one of the first ever times I've had an honest conversation with individuals about eating disorders because we don't talk about it. So they're mysterious, you know? And it's like, I wish that when I was in high school health, they said, Here's what eating disorders are. Here's how they show up. I wish that I had that opportunity as a young individual to dispel some of these myths and for someone to look at me and be like, don't ask somebody why they gained all that weight back or don't say those hurtful comments because they're not effective. Um, 
And so like, I, just, I, I totally agree and hear what you're saying, Maya, about that mystery. And I think like, that's so problematic to me because when we don't know something, that's when problems occur. Right. And then they just get out of hand because it's again, like, it's not a thing if you don't look at it, you know, it's not a thing if you never really tried or, you know, I always say, if you don't know, you don't know. And then you really just don't get the help you need. Yeah. I think there's a, like, I'm curious from an outside perspective, like if you had the, the opportunity to either dispel a common myth that you often hear or to kind of say something that you wish individuals without eating disorders under like something that you wish they would understand. Is there something that would come to your mind for like, I wish others would know this or understand this? Uh, good question. I think that for me, it's definitely understanding that there's more than just the habits that you see. Um, you know, it's more than just what you see on the outside. It's more than just the weight or, um, you know, eating, not eating. It's also the mindset. Um, like I mentioned earlier, you know, you can on the outside not eat a lot, but then on the inside, think about food all the time. Um, that's the case for me, you know, whether I'm binging or restricting, a lot of my day is spent thinking about whether I am going to eat or not. Um, and you know, that also kind of feeds into biodysmorphia. Um, you know, again, it's not just necessarily you feel like you're not bigger or smaller enough, it's sometimes you really do feel like you're larger than you actually are. Um, which again, kind of really, it's just a cycle. Um, and so it's definitely something that I kind of advocate for is understanding it's more than just the choice. It's really just an entire mindset that needs to be broken. I think that's really important, that body dysmorphia piece, um, because I think oftentimes that gets overlooked and which people see somebody, you know, let's use this stereotypical image of this incredibly skinny individual and they see, you know, why can they not see that? Why, you know, everyone looks at them, people tell them these things. And still when they go and look in the mirror, they truly don't see that, you know, but I think that gets overlooked. Um, and I think what the, re what the reality can be is that leads to people saying, geez, why don't they understand? You know, yeah. Because they can't, they don't understand the situation. Mm, yeah, and that definitely is, you know, again, like it's easy to say to someone, um, much even like, you know, gender dysphoria too, it's really easy to tell someone like, oh, you look really cute and I see this and, you know, you wear a size four and it's so beautiful and you have a great figure, but at the end of the day, you know, you can look in the mirror and see the one roll on your leg or the cellulite and the dimples and be like, no, nope. Not at all. I don't see any of this. I feel like I'm a size 12 and it genuinely is like really hard to kind of look past that because it's just what your brain like sees, you know, in the mirror. Our brain can do some pretty nasty things to us, unfortunately. Mm -hmm, for yeah. sure. I wonder, um, we've talked about a lot of ways that like affirmations from other people can actually be harmful. And I think most times they are, but um, are there any for you that are helpful or have been? I think that 
it kind of, I go back and forth a lot and a lot of things, but especially when it comes to affirmations, um, because, you know, on a good day, if someone tells me, you know, specifically who knows about my journey and they're like, yo, like, look, you're doing really great. Um, you know, I'm proud of you. You could do this thing yesterday. You could actually, you know, keep on a schedule routine. Um, you know, like I talked to my dietitian every other week. And so I talked to her yesterday and this is what we kind of went through. Um, and she was like, I'm so proud of you. You're doing good. Um, and, you know, it, it felt great because I was in a good mood about it. Um, but, you know, there are some times someone says that and I just feel pressured to keep it up when I know I can't, you know. Um, and so I think that sometimes it's more than just saying I'm really proud you're doing it, you're doing good. But also to say, I know you can you can keep going. And if you failed and we're still here for you, you know, you can fall down and get back up. Um, and I think acknowledging that. You know, of course, first things first, you should try to believe in yourself that you can do things, but also to have that, I guess, pressure alleviated that even if you can't get it the first time or the second time, like we're still here to support you after that. I think that commenting on things other than like compliments that aren't focused on what your body looks like or even what your appearance is have always been more helpful for me mm -hmm. I would rather hear that I'm a good person than I'm beautiful you know because that matters more um really in the long run um or in general but um but it can also help remind me that like it doesn't like my my appearance isn't the only thing that determines my weight I mean, this isn't the only thing that determines my worth. Appreciate it. I think also like focusing on process and improvement more than just focusing on the end of the journey is a big thing too. Um, I know like even for other things in life, everyone kind of talks about, look, you're going to make it to this point at some point, um, which, you know, is, it seems so far away sometimes that if you just say, look at how much you've progressed, it's so much nicer and more encouraging to think, okay, I started from here and here we are and not just here's my goal but it's way out there and maybe I'll get there <laughs> you know so yeah yeah I, I think that's super helpful you know to think about and, and I think I hear this language being used not only with eating disorders but kind of all like either weight loss or weight gain or muscle gain or any of those kind of goal journeys is we always concentrate on yeah, one day you'll probably be there, you know, and never on the like, wow, you, this was really a good week. You, there was a lot of progress we made this week, or, you know, we've made a lot of growth in this last month. Like, um, those constant reminders, I think are, are so much more important. And something I hear kind of in all realms of my life all the time is almost this avoidance and celebrating small victories and then mm -hmm. only kind of celebrating those big moments. But to me, like those small victories, those moments of like, yeah, you know what? This was a perfect week. Like that's worth celebrating. Mm -hmm. For sure. I mean, think about like, you know, if you're climbing a mountain, sometimes it's easier to have stairs in there too. So if you, you know, every little step, you just add a little step in there to kind of hop on and, you know, kind of observe it's easy and just be on a mountain climbing this rope and, you know, you can't look back because you're too scared to fall off of it, you know? Um, well, I really appreciate it, uh, C and Maya as well. Thank you so much. Thank cool. you guys for reaching out. I greatly appreciate it. You know, 
it's hard topics, but you know, anything I can do to just kind of share something so people can hear it and relate back or just learn is what I want to do. So, yeah. And, you know, and I think the more we have the conversations, the less they become hard topics because they shouldn't mm -hmm. be hard topics. These should be things we can talk about. Right. For sure.